The passages I want to read this morning are found in this bulletin. That's why I needed it. Up in the right-hand corner of the inside. And I'm just going to read out of there. It's the NIV version. And I'm going to read three passages. And, and then we're going to uh, talk a little bit about speaking in tongues. We're continuing our uh, series this summer in which we're answering questions that people in, at Woodland Hills ask that we preach on. And so we're just using this to touch on a couple of issues that we normally wouldn't get to unless once every ten years or something. And this morning we're going to be talking about speaking in tongues. Acts 2.4 says, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13.8 in a verse that I think is frequently misunderstood. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. And finally, two verses from 1 Corinthians 14 says this. Anyone who speaks in, an, in, in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. And then verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Let's pray. Father, let your word come alive to us this morning. I pray, Lord God, it could be informative. I pray, Lord, most of all this morning that it could be balanced. Because I'm just very aware that this is a topic in which there's very frequently a lack of balance. I pray, Lord, that if there are any here this morning that have had bad experiences with this, that they would not hear this teaching through their wounds, Lord, but might hear it fresh. And, Lord, I pray that it even be healing to them. Be with us, Lord God. Energize your word. Anoint it. Let it come alive, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I celebrated my, my spiritual birthday about um, three days ago. Yes, in 1974, June 29th, I became a believer and gave my heart to the Lord. 21 years ago. I can't believe that. 21 years ago. That's right. Now, oh, yeah. now I can really drink of the Spirit legally. All right. <laughs> Before I was just vibing on the side. The night before I got saved, uh, I, I was going to this uh, church. They were having this, these revival meetings, and I was interested. I thought the people were pretty strange, but something was attractive uh, to me about them. And after each service, I really didn't know what was going on, but after each service, they'd have this kind of fellowship. And one of the young teenagers uh, in this church, I was 17 at the time, she was about 16, she started explaining to me about Jesus. And it was all new to me. You know, I, it was brand new. I'd never heard of such concepts in my life, and I was really intrigued by it. And then she threw in this thing, and this is the kind of way this church did it. She said, and, and then when you're saved, you can speak in tongues. And she talked on and on about tongues, and I honestly had no idea. What, I, I was thinking, well, we always use our tongue when we talk. What do you, you know, you talk with your tongue? What, I, I didn't know what she was talking about. And finally, she got on to explaining in a way that I could understand that it was some kind of spirit-inspired language. That you didn't learn, and I was just freaked out by that. You're kidding, and I wasn't sure I believed her or, or whatever, but there it was. Well, the next night, on June 29th, uh, there was this young lady who gave, I think it was her first sermon ever, because she was very nervous, to about 40 people. And uh, at the end, she gave an altar call, and I went up and gave my heart to the Lord. And I was filled with a lot of joy and uh, a peace, and I began to just praise God. 
And don't you know, but, that, and I don't recall ever thinking about what that young girl told me about tongues. That didn't seem to be on my mind, but I began to initially just have these, these, these strange words would come out as I was praising God. And I thought it was kind of weird. And, and that more and more, these strange words came out. I turned to the person next to me who was praying with me, and I went like, 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 what is this? And he was just like, go ahead and shout it out. So I, okay, started praising God. And all this different language started coming out, and it kind of freaked me out. It was like I was listening to myself talk like, talk like this. And it was really a blessing. It didn't take me very long, however, to find out that this blessing was a fairly controversial thing. I remember I went back to my, I turned into an instant obnoxious evangelist in my high school, and I went back and started telling everyone about the Lord, but I did it the way this church did. I, I, you know, since this is the way it was presented to me, this is why I presented to everybody else. You can get saved and talk in tongues. And I thought that was just part of the gospel message. And there's one, one person uh, who, thinking back on it, kind of reminded me of the Saturday night church lady. I remember I told her this, you know, you can speak in tongues, and, and she got this hmm, kind of attitude. And she said, that's of the devil. I go, what? She goes, that's of the devil. That's Satan. That's not for today. And I knew she was a Christian and stuff, but I couldn't understand how because she could think something so wonderful was, was of the devil. Well, I found out since that time, uh, speaking in tongues has continued to be a, be a regular part of my devotion life. It's not the center of my Christianity or anything like that, but it's, it's something that has played a role in my life the last 21 years. But I've also come to see that the opinions of this church lady in high school are not unique. And there's a lot of controversy that surrounds this whole issue of speaking in tongues because there's a lot of different ideas about what all this involves. And what I want to do this morning is just touch on some of the basic issues because I know that a lot of you have come from backgrounds where that is an issue or you come from backgrounds where you don't, understand, you don't know what this is about. You're like I was 21 years ago and, and, and you don't even know what, what, what this is all about. So I want to kind of lay a foundation for this and touch on a few of the issues. I want to talk about... Number one, what speaking in tongues is. I want to address the issue of whether or not it's for today. I then want to talk about what its use is. And then I want to finish up by talking about what its abuses are. And I want to do all that in 20 minutes, so let's, let's hit the road here. What is tongues? What is tongues? The Greek word that's used about 14, 15 times in the New Testament to describe this phenomena is glossolalia. And it literally means to speak in a different language. To speak in a different language. It's very clear in the Bible that it's talking about a Spirit-inspired language. Paul says it's one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit to speak a language that you have not learned on your own. God gives you the language. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, and by the way, I'm going to be throwing out a lot of Scripture here, so if this is an issue that you really want to, you know, get your bearings on, you might want to take notes, because I'm just going to kind of be rattling, off, uh, rattling them off. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13.1, or he implies in 1 Corinthians 13.1, that the speaking in tongues, this glossolalia, uh, can be the tongues of, 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 of human beings or of angels. It's not necessarily uh, a language that any dialect on earth right now is speaking. It could be an angelic language, but it's a spirit-inspired language. And it's one of the gifts of the spirit. It's something that's inspired by God. Paul tells us, in 1 Corinthians 12 and also in 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. And 1 Corinthians 14, verse 39. He says, we are to eagerly desire. He uses one word there to describe that three different times. The word is zelao, which means to be zealous for. We get the word zealous from it. Be zealous, he says, for the spiritual gifts. Be zealous for them. We're to desire them. 
Especially, he says, those gifts which benefit the whole church, which speaking in tongues tends not to do. So Paul, throughout 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, he will time and again affirm the validity of speaking in tongues, but his main goal in this, in this section is to emphasize other gifts, like prophecy especially, and we are to be seeking all the gifts, to be desiring all the gifts, to really be saying, God, use me in any way you want. Be open to all the gifts, desire all the gifts, which would, of course, entail the gift of speaking in tongues. That's one of the gifts. Now, there are some today who argue that speaking in tongues is not for today. They argue that um, uh, it went out of use when the Bible was written, and therefore it should not be practiced today. In fact, they would argue that none of those who speak in tongues today are genuinely exercising a spiritual gift. They're either just tricking themselves or maybe they're speaking of the devil or whatever. The main verse that used to argue that position is found in 1 Corinthians 13. If you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there. Otherwise, it's, uh, most of it's printed in their bulletin. 1 Corinthians 13. This is just a basic, straightforward teaching time. Where Paul says this in verse 8. Love is patient. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, where there are tongues, they will be stilled. They're going to be silenced someday. Where there, are, uh, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the, um, the imperfect disappears. When perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. And the argument is this. The argument is that Perfection here refers to the Bible. So when the Bible comes, speaking in tongues and prophecy are to be done away with. That, that, that's their position. So as soon as the Bible got written, which was finished around 90 A.D. with the book of Revelation, as soon as it got written, then speaking in tongues should, should cease. That's the argument. I've read dozens of books on this topic from this perspective, and all of them use that verse and that argument. Now, what can you say in response to that? Let me just say a couple of things. First, you'll note here that Paul says that not only will tongues and prophecies cease when the perfection comes, but he says knowledge will cease. Right? He says, for now we know in part, look at verse 12. For now we see through a, a poor, re now we see but as a, a poor reflection as in a mirror. But then when the perfection comes, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part... Then I, know, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully, know, uh, fully known. And he says, for now we know in part, but when perfection comes, then that which is in part shall be done away. So the question is this. Since the Bible's here, shouldn't knowledge be done away with? But if knowledge is done away with, how would you know that? Since to know it is to know something, therefore knowledge obviously isn't done away with. I love those kind of arguments. We do still know, and we still know in part. We don't know fully as we shall be known. We don't know God fully. We don't see the mysteries of life fully. We don't understand anything fully. We see through a mirror darkly, which tells me that whatever Paul's talking about by the perfection, it's not the Bible. Now, second thing is this. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. You can look it up. Paul tells the Corinthians, Come behind in no spiritual gift... He uses the word, the same word there, pneumatikoi. Come behind in no spiritual gift. The same word that's used to describe tongues in 1 Corinthians 12. Come behind in no gift, 
as you wait for the Lord to be revealed. And then he says in, 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 in verse 1-8 that we are to strive, to eagerly desire the gifts until, until the day of the Lord. Referring to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what he's telling us is that until the Lord comes back, until the Lord returns again, we are to desire and come behind to lack, to lack no spiritual gift. We need all the gifts. God gave them to the church for the empowering of the church, for the equipping of the church, and we need them to do the church's ministry until the Lord comes back. The Lord is the perfect one, and when he comes back, we shall be perfected. We shall be in a perfect place. We won't need tongues or faith or any of these other things that we need down here. We're going to know him directly. But that's what perfection is referring to. Until then, and see, the one thing, what Paul's getting at in 1 Corinthians 13 is that the one thing that's going to survive that's going to be, transition us from this world to that world is love. Everything else about us is going to be done away with. We're not going to even need to have faith in heaven because it will be so obvious. But the one thing that will characterize us throughout eternity is love. So Paul says love is the most important thing. And if you speak in tongues of men or of angels, 1 Corinthians 13, 1, but if you don't have love, he says it's a noisy sound. It doesn't do any good. The third thing is this, in response to this objection that tongues was supposed to stop in the first century, and the response is this. Speaking in tongues did not stop in the first century. If you study the early church records, you find that speaking in tongues, speaking glossolalia, speaking in a spirit-inspired language that you did not learn, was a part of the church in the, in the, in the second century, in the third century, and even in parts of the fourth century. It was a regular practice. It did not stop. It did not even slow down until the late 2nd century, but it continued throughout the 3rd century into the 4th century. It did stop in the 4th in the, in the century. Or at least it began to die down in the 4th century, and miracles began to die down in the 4th century, and all the gifts of the Spirit began to die down in the 4th century, and the church basically operated without them until this century, although there was exceptions to that. Basically, it's only been in this century that we've recovered those gifts. Now, here's why they disappeared in a nutshell. There's a number of reasons, but here's a major reason. It's because the model for the church, and we've touched on this before, but the model for the church, the model for doing ministry, radically changed in the 3rd and 4th century. The church appropriated or adopted from paganism an understanding of what the church is, to, is supposed to look like, where you've got religious professionals on top, and, and, and all the people, the masses of people, their job is just to support the religious professionals who do the religious stuff. But you see, all the gifts of the Spirit are about one thing, and that, is to, and that is ministry. It's about people doing ministry. And the gifts <clears throat> need to operate in the church as long as there are people who understand the biblical truth that, you, that we are ministers. Each one of us is ministers, and therefore we need the Holy Spirit working in our life in order to do His ministry. There's a revival that's going on in these days, in these last days, and I, I'm, I thank God that Woodland Hills is a part of it, but it's a revival of people who are beginning to understand that ministry belongs to the people. And if there are leaders, if there are professionals, if there are specialists, and, and there's a place for those, their main job is to equip and to motivate the, the, the masses, the people, to do their ministry. But ministry belongs to the body of Christ, not a group of elite people who are supposed to carry out the, the, the ministry. And with that understanding... The understanding that we are all ministers, that we all have a responsibility, we all have a calling, and we all have a niche to do in the kingdom. With that understanding, 
comes the endorsement of the gifts of the Spirit. And what we're seeing these days is these gifts which have for so long been dormant coming out again. And people are once again beginning to understand this. And it is the crucial truth that you have as much power to heal as I or Billy Graham or anybody or Mother Teresa. And you have, the, as a believer who is filled with the Spirit, you have the ability. You have the ability to, to speak the Word of God. You have the ability to speak in tongues. You have the ability to get a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or a prophecy or what have you. As much as anybody else in the kingdom of God, that belongs to you as a believer. You as a believer. And so it's not surprising that as people are beginning to understand that the ministry belongs to them, the gifts of the Spirit are coming back in. So speaking in tongues is for today, and I think it's important in the church today. It's not the case that every believer has all the gifts. In fact, it's not the case that any believer has all the gifts. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 29, 30, and 31, Paul, Paul says this, does everyone have, is everyone an apostle? Is everyone a teacher? Is everyone an evangelist? Does everyone have the gift of healing? Does everyone have the gift of administration? Does everyone have a word of knowledge? Does everyone speak in tongues? Does everyone interpret tongues? And the way it's phrased there, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously no. But to each believer are available the gifts of the Spirit that we can walk in and be used by. And we need to be open to that. Okay, a third thing is this. What is the use of, 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 the, uh, of speaking in tongues today? What use, what role do they have? Now follow me on this. I, I'm, I'm going to try to break this down as simply as possible. There are basically two uses. Well, first let me say this. There's a, a common teaching, uh, usually those who argue that speaking in tongues isn't for today, argue that what tongues was about in the first century was, was God gave people an ability to preach in a different language. Some of you have heard that, I bet. Uh, it, it's, it's a common uh, idea. I, I think it's a misunderstanding. But the idea is that the, the purpose for tongues in the first century was that God gave the apostles primarily the ability to preach in a language they didn't know in order to spread the gospel faster. But as soon as the gospel spread far enough, then God takes away that gift. And now we've got to learn languages the hard way. In response to that, let me just say a couple of things. First, there is no example in the Bible of anyone using tongues to preach. The closest you get is in the, the book of Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, where God pours out the Spirit and the people begin to speak in tongues and everyone hears uh, them speaking in their own language. It's the only time in the Bible where that occurs. But even there, they're not preaching. They're glorifying God. And after it's all done, after the crowd has gathered, then Peter stands up and preaches to them. But you see, in the Roman Empire, everyone, almost everybody had, was, was, uh, had, had several dialects. The common language was Koine Greek, and everyone spoke that, so you didn't need to learn different languages to preach to everybody. Everybody knew Koine Greek, and they also had two or three or four languages on top of that that they spoke. The Roman Empire was very multicultural. But never is it used for the purpose of preaching. In fact, in a number of contexts, it couldn't possibly mean that. For example, in Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48, Peter preaches to the household of Cornelius. The, the Spirit is poured out on them, and they begin to speak in tongues. But these Gentiles just got saved. Do you think that they're preaching now to Peter? They're the ones who are speaking in tongues. Though Peter was preaching to them in their own dialect, which was Koine Greek, and then they begin to speak in tongues. So also in Acts chapter 19... 
Paul preaches to the disciples of John the Baptist. They believe on the Lord, and like what happened to me, when they believed, they, they began to speak in other tongues. But they weren't preaching to Paul, they just got saved. There's no illustration of tongues being used for the purposes of preaching. Now, God could do that if he wanted to, but that's not what's referred to by glossolalia in the New Testament. Another thing is this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2, it's in, it's in the bulletin there, Paul says that the person who speaks in tongues does not speak unto people, unto men, but unto God, because no one understands him. Look at it, 1 Corinthians 14, 2. Which tells me that the purpose of tongues is not to be preaching. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, I told you I was going to deluge you with a bunch of scripture. In 1 Corinthians 14, verses 14, 14, uh, 18 and 19. No, no, no. 14, 13 and 14. In chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, Paul says this. That a person who speaks in tongues, they should pray that they get the gift of interpretation so that other people can understand them when they speak in tongues in a context of, of a church. Or that, they, that there needs to be someone else there who gets the gift of interpretation to interpret to, to other people. Now follow me on this. If speaking in tongues needs a divine interpreter to be understood, doesn't that tell you that speaking in tongues itself is not there for the purpose of being understood? Okay, are you following me? Not. i got to know if I got you with me, okay? Are you following that? Some of you aren't, I don't think. It's an important point. Because see, you need to have, in a context of a church, Paul says, pray that you can interpret it supernaturally, that God would allow you to understand what you're saying, because otherwise no one understands what you're saying, which tells you that the purpose of tongues is not about communication. It wasn't about preaching. Well, then what was the purpose of speaking in tongues? This is, this is very important. There's... If you read 1 Corinthians 14 very carefully, there's two purposes that, that come out in 1 Corinthians 14. There's a personal usage of tongues, and there's a corporate use of tongues. If you look at verse, uh, uh, chapter 14, starting with verse 18, Paul says, now, the, the, you know, the, the Corinthians were really big tongue talkers. I mean, they spoke in tongues. They were, they were always speaking in tongues. But Paul says this, I think kind of with tongue-in-cheek. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. I can out tongue talk the best of you. Hey, Mark said go. <laughs> no. But he says, hey, look at it. You want tongues? I believe in tongues. I speak in tongues more than all you guys. But now look at verse 19. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others. Okay, speak in tongues all you want. Don't do it in church. Unless. Okay, look at, look at verse 13 again. For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in, in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And then look down at verse 27, if you have your Bibles here. If not, just listen carefully. If anyone speaks in a tongue, and now Paul's talking about church here. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time. None of this shouting match stuff. And someone must interpret. Okay? Someone has to pray and get the gift of interpretation. That's one of the gifts of the Spirit. But if there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to God and to himself. Okay. There's two uses of tongues. The first is personal. On that, Paul says, go crazy. Go ahead. Do it as much as you want. 
And when you speak in tongues in private, some call this your prayer language, or it's a devotional use of, of speaking in tongues. You're speaking to God. Paul says your, your own mind doesn't understand what you're saying. Uh, no one could understand what you're saying. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 4, the one who speaks in tongues builds up himself. You strengthen yourself. Believers who have the gift of tongues find this. That, that, that they are built up on the inside in some ways, and it seems to differ for each person who's got the gift of tongues. For me, when I speak in tongues in prayer, and I, and I do that on a regular basis, I find that it ministers peace to me. It ministers confidence to me. Uh, there's, a, there's a presence sometimes associated with it. It strengthens me, okay? That's what the word build up there uh, means. It, 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 we get the word edifice from it. It's to build up a structure. Those who have the gift, and not everyone has the gift, but those who have the gift, when they speak in tongues in their own prayer language, uh, in, 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 a, in a private devotional use, they get strengthened, they, they get built up. It strengthens them, it ministers peace, ministers confidence, or whatever. Sometimes I find that when I don't know what I want to pray for, but I feel like I want to pray, sometimes I, I, I find myself praying in tongues. This might be what Paul's referring to in Romans chapter 8, where he says that when we don't know what we should pray... The Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with sounds, and he uses this weird phrase here, with unintelligible sounds, or which, with groanings, some translations have. It just means an unintelligible sound. And he may be referring to, some, some commentators believe, he's referring to speaking in tongues. I personally think that's what he's referring to. So when I don't know what I should pray for, but I have an urgency to pray, sometimes I feel the Lord intercede and, and, and uh, begin to speak in tongues. In any case... Paul says, concerning that use of tongues, do it as much as you want, as frequently as you want. You Corinthians, I do it more than all of you. But there's a second use of tongues, and that's what happens in church. And here Paul gives some pretty strong restrictions. First of all, you've got to know this. When Paul uses the word church, ecclesia, he has in mind a gathering of 15 to 20 to 25 people. All the churches of that time were about that size. They'd meet together, we find in the book of Acts, they'd meet together to have a citywide gathering once a week or once a month or whatever, and they'd celebrate the Lord and, and do whatever. They'd meet in, in, in the temple or in, in Solomon's colonnade, Ephesians 5 tells us, or Acts 5 tells us. But in terms of, what, in terms of their everyday life, they'd meet in house churches. Okay? Paul says in that context, if you're going to speak in tongues, it needs to be interpreted. And the basic idea here is this. They'd get together and the gifts of the Spirit would flow, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, prophecy, healing, or whatever. That's the context in which the gifts would operate. Paul says there is a use for tongues there, but the use is this. God gives someone the ability to speak in tongues and then allows someone to interpret it, and it has the force of a prophecy. It's a word from God to the people. And God prefaces it with tongues as a way of flagging that this comes from God. It's a supernatural thing. In fact, Paul implies in the end of 1 Corinthians 14 that it's primarily a sign to unbelievers that the prophecy is going to come of God. Okay, so you've got two uses. A personal private use, and then a use in a small group. And Paul there says that it has to be two or at the most three, and, and you have to do it at, at one at a time. He really rules out the idea of getting together and having a shouting match in tongues. Where, where, and sometimes you find places like that. I've been to churches where I used to pastor a church where one of the ministers said, okay, now we're all going to pray in our tongue language. One, two, three, and then everyone starts, you know, shouting out in this, you know, handala, kandala, mandala stuff. 
and, and it's like a shouting match. Paul says, if you guys all get together and speak in tongues, he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, and someone comes in who doesn't know what you're doing, they're going to think you are like cuckoo. You're mad. And he's right. If someone comes in, it's like, what all these people, you know, are doing? It also makes you kind of feel intimidated. If you don't have a prayer language, it's like, oh, gosh, I guess I can't praise God. I mean, these people can all speak in tongues. But I, so it was, we need to stay within the boundaries of Scripture. Paul says you're going to speak in tongues in a private context. Do it to yourself. The main force is to say here, don't draw attention to yourself. Do it under your breath or whatever, but don't draw attention to yourself. Don't take up everybody's time by getting blessed speaking in tongues while we're all sitting around saying, boy, I wonder what she's saying. You know, it, it should be something that, that benefits the whole group. Okay. Fourth thing, the final thing is this. What are some of the abuses of the gift of the Spirit? And, and, and this is an important thing because a lot of us come out of backgrounds, some come out, out of backgrounds that because of abuses, they said, we're not going to have anything to do with this. There are a lot of churches that say, you know what, we're not going to talk about it, we don't want to preach on it, we, we're not going to be against it, but we're not going to be for it either. A lot of them are, are like that because they're afraid of controversy. So they just say, let's put a lid on this. And some of you have come from backgrounds where you know, maybe some weird things were done to you in, in, in the name of speaking in tongues. Um, there's a lot of crazy stuff that goes on. I mean, I've been in contexts where uh, you, get, you go up to the altar and people, say, people try to get you to speak in tongues. Has that happened to any of you? And, and they grab your jaw and say, say hallelujah. You know, and they start screaming in, in, in your ear and, and come on, loosen up that jaw, blah, 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 you know. And, and they try to work you into some kind of frenzy, and it just cheapens the whole thing. And you go, what? And so then sometimes you think, well, then none of it's true. Okay. Whenever we use the gift of tongues or, or, or uh, go outside of the scriptural guidelines for what tongues is about, we are abusing a good gift of God. When you get into context where everyone's screaming in tongues at the sh- top of their mouth, top of their, screaming in tongues at the top of their lungs, I'm a poet, um, and, uh, or, or, or you get to it in a context where all of a sudden one person stands up, you know, and you're, you're there to worship God, and they start speaking in tongues. And everyone else has to sit there and wait, and there's no interpretation or anything. That's, that's not biblical, and it's an abuse of a good gift. That person's getting blessed. They're out there, you know, but everyone else is saying, gee, you know, this is really nice, isn't it? And thinking that maybe the person's a little bit imbalanced or something. Whenever... Tongues becomes a spiritual criteria. We are abusing a good gift of God. And I want to very explicitly talk about one particular issue here. And and this is the last issue I'm going to address, but it's this. There's a widespread teaching around that says that speaking in tongues is the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that if you haven't spoken in tongues, you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. It's widespread. It's all around out there. So they try to get you to speak in tongues so then you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, the, the initial church that I went to, that they, they taught this. And what happens is that you get a tremendous amount of pressure on people to speak in tongues. That's where you get people trying to get people to speak in tongues. Something you never find in the Bible. I don't find one person trying to speak in tongues in the Bible. It just happens. Paul does say, seek for all the gifts. That's true. But that's very different than trying to speak in tongues where someone's grabbing your jaw and shouting... Hallelujah backwards in your ear. You get a context where you develop two different classes of Christians, those who have and those who have not. Those who have spoken in tongues and they believe they have arrived, and those who haven't spoken in tongues and they believe they are defective. And there's nothing in the Bible to support that kind of view. 
There is in the Bible something called the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Once it's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which simply means the immersion in the Holy Spirit, or receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what did you know there is this? Paul, uh, or Jesus tells his disciples that you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They already were believers. And believers have the Holy Spirit because you couldn't believe unless you had the Holy Spirit. Paul says no one can even confess Jesus Christ as Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. But not every believer in the New Testament, and certainly not every believer today, is baptized in the Spirit or is filled with the Holy Spirit. You find Paul saying this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, you know what, you guys? Stop getting drunk with wine. That's a good idea. And start getting filled with the Holy Spirit. Whereas you used to be intoxicated with wine, start getting intoxicated by the Holy Spirit. And he uses the verb that means to continually be in the process of being filled with the Holy Spirit. What is the sign of being baptized in the Spirit? It's what Jesus said. He said, when the Spirit comes on you, there'll be power. There'll be power. There'll be an anointing. There's going to be a passion. There'll be a zeal there. You're going to be on fire for God. You're going to be immersed into God, anointed with God, filled with God. God's going to be all over you. You're going to reek with God. That's not true of every believer. Maybe it's not true of any believer all the time. But it's something that every believer is to be aspiring towards, to be sold out to God, to have the Spirit just baptizing you, moving through you, to have that anointing. That's what it's about, is anointing. But see, if you believe that tongues is the sign of that, then here's what you've got to say. You have to say that every person that speaks in tongues is anointed, but Billy Graham's not because he doesn't speak in tongues. And then you've got to say that Jonathan Edwards and Charles Spurgeon and Charles Finney and all the great revivalist preachers in, in, in the world, that they weren't really anointed because they didn't speak in tongues. They didn't have the baptism. But I've got the baptism because I speak in tongues. Well, I speak in tongues, but I, I, I would pray that I'd have a third of the ministry of Jonathan Edwards or Charles Finney because those people were really, really anointed, and I pray that God will give me that kind of anointing. But see, it's got nothing to do with speaking in tongues. It's got nothing to do with speaking in tongues. Those who come to that position argue it basically for this reason. Three times in the book of Acts you find the baptism of the Holy Spirit being poured out on people, the Holy Spirit being poured out on people, and you find them speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. And so they, may, they come to this conclusion. Well, since in three cases in the book of Acts, people received the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, therefore, whenever anyone receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they must speak in tongues. That's the argument. A couple things to be said about that. Number one, number one, what was number one? Number one, number one. Come on, Holy Spirit, you gotta give me number one. Oh yeah, number one is this. Ephesians 5. Verse 18, where Paul, Paul says all of us are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Every, every one of us are supposed to be filled by the Holy Spirit. But he doesn't say that everybody's supposed to speak in tongues. He does say in, 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 in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5, as far as I'm concerned, I'd have you all speak in tongues. But he doesn't, say, it doesn't, he doesn't say that we're all supposed to speak in tongues. Though he does say we're all supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which tells me, in fact, Paul says that not everyone speaks in tongues in the end of, of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Which tells me that speaking in tongues and being filled with the Holy Spirit are not synonymous. A second thing is, is this. It simply is a bad way of approaching Scripture to draw, to base a doctrine on an inference on the basis of something that happened. In other words, it's one thing to say that something happened. It's another thing to say that it, this is what always should happen. 
You follow the difference there? In 1 Chronicles, it tells us that Gideon, in order to, to discern the will of God, he threw out a fleece. You know, you know the story of Gideon? He threw out a fleece three times. says, okay, God, i got to know your will. You want me to go to fight? Uh, make the fleece wet, the, dr the ground dry. Then make the fleece dry and the ground wet. Now I'll reverse it to the first one again. Make the fleece wet and the ground dry. Three days. And God put up with that and God actually did it because he wanted Gideon to go and fight. That happened, but that's not to say that we're supposed to discern the will of God that way. See, it's one thing to say what happened. It's another thing to say what's always supposed to happen. Balaam got, got uh, some spiritual advice from a donkey, but that doesn't mean we're supposed to go around trying to ask donkeys for spiritual advice. Peter healed somebody by his shadow in the book of Acts, chapter 5, but that doesn't mean we're supposed to go around trying to heal people with our shadow. Here, get over there in my shadow and maybe you'll get healed. You see, it's one thing to say what happened. It's another thing to say what always should happen. We need to teach what the Bible teaches, and the Bible just doesn't teach. It doesn't teach that speaking in tongues is a sign of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It does teach that power is a sign of receiving the Holy Spirit. And Peter goes so far into Acts chapter 2 as to say that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall prophesy. You and your daughters and your young men and old men are all going to prophesy and have visions and dreams. But he never mentions speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues, then, is, 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 to, to, to draw it up here. It's a gift of God whereby a person can speak in a, supernatural, a supernaturally empowered language. It's for today. It is to be used in small groups, but even more so in private. And it's not, it's not something that we need to think that everybody's going to have or should have. It is anything but a spiritual criteria. In fact, the essence of the Corinthians' mistake was to make it a spiritual criteria. I speak in tongues and you don't. And that kind of pride has done more to damage people's feeling about that gift than anything else. It's really hindered the move of God today. Let me close by just saying this. For those of you who, for whom this is new, you're probably wondering, what does this sound like? What does this look like? How do you go about it? You know, am I just supposed to I'll be walking down the street one day and all of a sudden God's going to grab my jaw and I'll start speaking in tongues or what? Paul says that we are to seek all the gifts. Be zealous for the gifts. That means that we are going to, if we're going to operate in any of the gifts, including speaking in tongues, we're going to need to come against a cultural assumption that we all share, which tells us that everything that goes on in my head and everything that goes on in my heart is my own doing. Don't think that when you get a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom or a prophecy or God's going to tell you to go somewhere or if God wants you to speak in tongues, don't think that your eyes are going to roll back and, and you're going to go into some kind of trance and you're not going to be able to control yourself and, and then when you come to, you're not going to remember what you said. It doesn't operate like that. God, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 that the spirit of the prophet concerning prophecy is always subject to the prophet. You're always in control of yourself. But it happens through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to begin to move in the gifts of the Spirit, and my prayer is that we do that in a proper, scripturally balanced way, we need to begin to hear the promptings, the influence, the voice of the Holy Spirit in the depths of our heart. And begin to step out on that. A word of knowledge, word of wisdom, God's telling you to do something you wouldn't have planned on doing. We need to begin to pay attention to what's going on inside and get rid of the assumption that whatever goes on on the inside is our own doing. Begin to step out. Just try it. Just try it. You might find that, you know what, God's really in it. And God really begins to use you in a supernatural way. And things really begin to get exciting. Concerning speaking in tongues, it's, it's a little bit like this. And it happens differently for different people. But you might find 
sometime as you're praising God, sometimes as you're just praying, that all of a sudden there's a strange thing that goes on where you start hearing different, different words that you've never learned in your mind. And, and, and one person described it like this. It got kind of hard to pray in my own language. I was like, huh? You know, uh, or, or you might just find that, that different words come out. Or you might find that there's a kind of a swelling that goes on in your gut that you just want to speak in a different language. If your heart is towards God and you just want whatever God has for you, if that's your motive, I would not fear anything. I'd step out on it if I were you. Go ahead and try that. And it's going to sound silly at first, but you know what? Of course it's going to sound silly because you've never done it before. Anything that you do for the first time sounds silly. But just go ahead and step out on that. And you may find that God blesses you with his gift. On the other hand, if that never happens, don't you ever, ever, ever feel one iota inadequate for that fact. Just be open to God to give you some other gift. Be open to God with whatever he has for you. We want to walk in all the gifts and use them in a biblical way. Father, we thank you for pouring out upon us your Holy Spirit. We thank, upon, we thank you, Lord God, for pouring upon us even the gift of tongues. We pray, Lord God, that as many as are supposed to receive that would receive that, Lord. And Lord, I, I pray that, that people here through your Spirit could even just get permission to do that. Permission in, in private, permission up here at the altar. Uh, Lord God, to be filled in, in such a way that, that uh, Lord, if you wanted to, to give them a prayer language, you could do that. I pray, Lord, that you take away the spookiness of this for some of the people. And that, Lord God, we can begin to operate in your spirit and walk in your spirit and feel your anointing and be used of you on a daily basis with the gifts of the Spirit. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.